0: Okay. So I'll begin. Uh, hi, guys. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the first uh, Applied bytes thing that we're having here. So the purpose of this particular presentation is to discuss this particular financial stability report that uh, RBI does twice a year. It's, it's semi-annual, that is. And the way that we will go about this is that we have three speakers who, will, who have strictly divided uh, three particular aspects of the topic between them. And they'll be talking about that particular thing. only. Now, I know that, uh, you know, for most of us, what happens is that we don't understand these particular financial terms and jargon as such in too much depth. So don't worry. That's what this session is about. As much as it is about discussing this particular report, it is about, uh, you know, uh, giving you the knowledge of these financial terms and also uh, making you familiar with the current situation of it so even if you don't understand you know each and every financial term in depth uh, depth if you understand what the current situation is then it will be something that will be helpful or helpful for you and that you can you know uh, read more about and you know gain more, more knowledge on if you are interested in it so i'll i'll tell you this particular report in this particular report the first part will be taken up by uh, the first part will be taken up by Kudligi, who will be speaking about the macro financial risk of this particular uh, that this uh, report talks about so the thing is ke, he will be talking about uh, you know how this particular pandemic is going to affect the overall uh, situation that we have the financial situation that we have uh, and also uh, he will be you know just touching upon what what the situation how the situation is going to affect the financial uh, the financial institutions that we have now building upon that vishwas will go on talking about the different kind of institutions the banks that are, that are there and uh, you know he'll be uh, going some more in depth uh, uh, in those so he will be speaking about uh, the scheduled commercial banks he will be se- uh, speaking about the scheduled urban cooperative banks and he will be talking about the nbfc's So these three uh, particular uh, institutions he will be discussing and then he will at the end discuss how, you know, this particular financial system is uh, connected, you know, how they cooperate and work together. And lastly, Anjane will be talking about the regulatory initiatives that uh, are being taken. So what the government of India or other, you know, regulatory bodies are doing to, you know, uh, tackle this situation and what their initiatives have been. So this is uh, what the report is and this presentation is going to be about. Uh, hope you gain something out of it. Let's begin.
1: All right, Anjane, I'll, sorry, Adhiraj, I'd like to thank you for your kind words. Uh, so we've structured our, PPT, our presentation as follows. Uh, so I'll be going first. I'll give you a brief overview on the PPT itself, and then I'll open the document. So uh, in the document, I'll go like I'll go through the whole document. And along with me, you, I'll be explaining the important parts so that you will all understand what I'm saying. And after me, Anjane and uh, Vishwas will come. So just hold on one sec. I'll share my screen, and we can begin. Uh, yes, I hope the uh, PPT is visible to all of you and uh, beginning this, uh, so basically my part revolves around the micro financial risks. So what my part is about is that we look at the situation that was pre-COVID, how was it going? And then what are the financial and macroeconomic problems that our country specifically is facing due to COVID-19? And a few assumptions, like a few simplifications that all three of us have made here is we are going to be focusing more on the logic and less on the figures. If you want to go over the figures, we are we are more than happy to discuss the same with you after the PPT. And second, is that some of the things we've excluded because uh, the PPT would have been too long otherwise, and we felt that, that is not important enough in respo- in respect to the con- context we are trying to set. So these are the two uh, simplifications that we made. So uh, without much further ado, uh, let's begin. So let's begin with a brief overview of the difference in the economy after the COVID-19 has struck, right? So the reason why COVID-19 is unique is that it's an unprecedented shock. All 200 countries have been affected, unlike say the 2007-8 crisis when India was relatively unaffected and lots of countries were not affected. Every country in the world has been affected. Second is a demand and supply side shock. The demand has collapsed because people are no longer buying. And the supply side has collapsed because supply cannot take place because of the lockdowns. So this has been very, very bad for the economy. However, the one good thing that we can say as compared to the last global financial crisis of 2007, is there has been adequate and quick monetary response. Central banks have stood up to the crisis, and they've said, we are here. We're going to respond to the crisis. And these are the solutions we have. The advantage of this is that the economy has relatively bottomed out and stopped going more down relatively quickly because of this financial markets are stabilized however be- due to COVID-19 the major problem over here that we need to uh, look at here is that the recession has been caused by a a virus, right? We never know when the virus can strike again. And because of that, there's a heightened uncertainty. Uncertainty is the word that you'll keep, keep hearing throughout the presentation because that is what is running the theme. So other than that, uh, the major reasons are global geopolitical tensions are on the rise countries are fighting. And the second one is over-leveraged non-financial sectors, which basically means that they have too much debt and there is a high risk that they might might not be able to repay their debt. Other than that, elevated debt levels. Since uh, the banks and governments have responded very quickly, in order to respond that quickly, they've taken up loans. So these loans are going to come into question as if there's no recovery, they won't be able to repay it. And this has been seen both in businesses and households. Two other features are diminished consumer confidence and high risk aversion. What does diminished consumer confidence means? That since I am worried that I might lose my salary tomorrow, I'm not going to spend. Because I'm not spending, I am further impeding the recovery process. This is diminished consumer confidence. And second is high risk aversion. Again, similar idea, basically, Banks, governments, consumers, no one wants to take risks right now. They want to play it safe, lackluster demand. Again, because of the high uncertainty that's being presented due to COVID-19, there's a heavy lackluster demand. Now, this was related to overall economy. Let's move towards the financial institutions. So credit growth basically means the amount of loans that a bank is giving. If the amount of loans that the bank is giving is increasing, it means that the economy is good because people want money since credit growth is falling it means two things banks are scared of giving money because they feel everyone will default second consumers are also not asking for loans because they don't need it both ways it is bad and uh, the rbi conducted several simulations and in the expected simulation uh, the npas are expected to rise to 12.5 percent and in worse of scenarios it may even rise to around 13.7 percent then again one good thing again is that the financial institutions have taken significantly regulate regu- regulatory actions. They have tried, they have risen up to risen up to the occasion, and they have come and took several actions that has helped stabilize the financial market and kept the f- flow going. Now, one thing as we move into August and COVID-19 is slow, even though it's not reduced, but it's slow. We have stopped paying attention to it. The focus is now shifting from trying to stop the pandemic and stop collapse to reviving growth, and that will be the theme that will be seen. And therefore, the overall summary, if you can say, is that high risks are present, but because the response has been good, most of the financial system has been good. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift to the PDF, the FRB report itself, and I'm going to go through it. I've highlighted some parts and you can understand it along with me. Just one second. Yes, uh, I hope the PDF is uh, visible. I'll just conf- uh, I, Can someone just send a confirmation in the chat and I'll begin. Uh, is the PDF visible? Can someone? Yeah, okay. Uh, it's visible. Okay, so this is the F- FSB report. Uh, what I'm going to do is I've highlighted some select parts, and I'll explain them as I move along. It's a little big, so some parts we've uh, removed. Yes. So the first part which deals with the overview. The overview is again as I covered. So yeah, this one is the most important one. Macro st- st- uh, stress tests are revealed that uh, 12.5% is what we are expected to go to. However, if the macroeconomic environment worsens further. The ratio may escalate to 14.7%, which is bad because India, for a long time, has been dealing with NPS. And uh, if the GNPA or the gross not performing as, non-performing assets increase, it will cause a lot of problems. Uh, moving on from this, I've already covered most of the overview in the PPT itself. So I'll move on to the first chapter. The first chapter is again micro financial risks. And global financial activity has come to a standstill, massive scale with economy and fiscal stimuli, healthcare and administrative measures, all that I've already mentioned. Let's move on. So main objective of the policy response, this is important. So the main objective initially has been to keep functioning normally. That is, we wanted to keep the market's function as normally as possible and prevent stability. Initially, if we if we left growth we even if we did not have growth the more focus was on maintaining stability and now as we are uh, starting to restart the economy the shift is now towards sustainable and inclusive growth uh moving on yes the macroeconomic developments and the whole COVID-19 in so COVID-19, the virus has its own trajectory. I'm going to focus on the path that it has taken in the financial markets, right? So the first financial market problem started in January 2020, when panic sell-offs, flights to safety, and wealth erosion in equity markets. Basically, I'll explain the basic concept. These are big words, but it's actually very simple. The USA, Europe, and all the advanced economies, they're very safe, but they give you very low returns. Emerging economies like India, uh indonesia and other such countries we offer higher returns but the risk is also higher so what happens in good times people are willing to take more risks so money flows into the emerging markets because they want higher returns however in bad times they want low risk it's fine if they undergo returns and therefore they go back to uh Advanced economy markets the problem for emerging economies is that we depend on the money coming into this because we need the money to uh, Get development going. So whenever money leaves our country's emerging economies during a problem of crisis It creates problems the second one bond yields fell to record lows what so what is a bond? Mostly bonds are issued by I'm going to talk Only about government bonds there are also private bonds. I'll focus on government bonds a government issues a bond And which basically says, I'm going to hold your money for one year, but when I give it to you back to you, I'll give a certain interest to you. It's similar to an FD. Now, why have bond yields fell to record low? Everyone wants money. You sell a bond, you get money. If everyone is selling bonds, then that means that everyone wants money. So that is why the yields have fallen to record lows. In fact, USA gives re- yields of 0% right now. That is, you will not get any yield. And there are some, econ- some economies in Europe which are even giving negative yields. Uh, weakening of demand, again, as COVID-19, because everyone is staying home, there's heightened uncertainty. Weakening of demand. GDP growth in advanced economies, which where it's lower, has can range from minus 3.4% to minus 14.2%. Emerging markets where growth is higher because our base of the economy is smaller, it can uh, range from anywhere from 2.9 to minus 6.8%. Right now, the prediction by uh, Nomura and most others is that India is going to expect anything between minus 3 to 7% with the most optimistic scenario some people are saying is minus one percent but the general consensus is that we will see negative growth a major problem that because of the lockdowns is that the manufacturing sector has collapsed this is a big problem and after april we have slowly started to ease back but there's still a problem in the manufacturing sector why because supply supply chains are affected and second no one is buying two reasons you can't even supply you can't even buy then crude oil price crude oil prices are also falling again this is a crisis that was widely noted that the brent futures went into negative however because significant measures have been taken uh production has been cut down by the uh, major economies and demand is slightly increasing from china and india again the price is recovering i think the price is around 40 dollars per barrel now global trade contraction expected global output would contract by 4.9 percent all are expected this is a very interesting word double hit scenario so A key feature of the virus is that a lot of people are expecting that as winter strikes, the coronavirus will strike again. So, what happens if it strikes again? The situation will be worse because then people have to again go back to their homes. So, this is a this. So whenever any macroeconomist is taking out predictions, they're predicting in two ways. One is a single hit scenario where this single hit was the one that's already hit us. And the second is a double hit scenario where in the in the winters of 20, 20 and 2021, the virus will hit again. So these are the broad two projections that are taking place again, broad and unpresented central bank measures. Okay. Yeah this is what is important the pandemic could however amplify financial vulnerabilities including corporate and household debt burdens so you need to understand let's understand a bit about how the economy was going before COVID-19 even before COVID-19 since it had been almost eight years since the last uh, recession moderation of growth had already started growth was slowing down and there were already calls that we might head back into a recession that is why what it, what COVID-19 has done is that it's amplified. For example, if your risk factor was say 0.2 now, because of COVID-19, it's increased to say 0.7 or 0.8. So because of this, there's a high risk that uh, pri- if there's no government action, households and corporate debt burdens and the debt default possibilities will heavily increase. Now, uh, the Basel norms, the Basel committee. on So this is a committee that basically yeah, releases the basal norms on how the banks, like how much money should the, like for banks to function properly. It has suggested the idea of moratorium. A moratorium is a word that has been thrown around a lot in the Indian news market cycles. So, what exactly is a moratorium? Is that your bank allows you to not pay for three months, and that payment is deferred. Now, a key thing that I like to remind everyone, if anyone is planning on taking a moratorium, is moratoriums are very risky. Why are they risky? That, for example, if I don't pay my loan uh, interest payments for three months, they will get added to the principal. So, for example, if say I don't pay ten rupees in month one, month two, and month three, the thirty rupees that I did not pay and then I'm expecting to pay later, that will get added to the principal. What happens when it gets added to the principal? The in- it gets compounded. So. Instead of me paying 30 rupees, now I'm paying a much higher amount. So therefore, people have been warned that if you can try and avoid moratoriums and uh, pay as fast as possible. Swift, bold, and unprecedented policy measures, as I mentioned. This is one more thing that we need to say. Because of these swift, bold, and unprecedented policy measures, the financial market is very optimistic. What they are saying is that since the government and the central bank is willing to do anything, we can rebound we are we are optimistic that nothing bad will happen and so let's start rebounding and therefore as you might have noticed all the stock markets have seen a very heavy increase and they've been they've been on a heavy bull run the problem however is that the economy is not in the bull run it's been crashing people are uncertain everything is everything is not decided and we don't know where the future lies so this is another feature that has been noted is the key disconnect between the financial market optimism that is stock markets and financial markets are saying that everything will be all right whereas the real economy is worsening and people are uh, very scared over here and again limiting market economy uh, market access for some economies as I mentioned earlier due to COVID-19 capital is flowing out of limit uh, out of emerging economies therefore they might not get capital if needed This is where the IMF and World Bank need to step in. And they've already stepped in. And they have assured countries that even if you don't get money, we will give you money. For example, South Africa has taken a loan from the IMF for the first time since uh, the end of apartheid. It is very unprecedented because they always had a stance that we'll never take a loan from IMF. Them taking it signifies how bad the situation has been. Moving on. Yes. Now. Again, global market, so what do I mean by leverage? Leverage basically means debt. How much debt does the economy have? So when I say that global economy is more leveraged now, what I basically mean is that global economy has much higher levels of debt. So this is one projective scenario that if net government borrowing doubles and there's a 3% contraction, this is the median forecast scenario for 2020, then world's debt will increase from 322% of the GDP to 342. That is, if my GDP is 100 rupees, my debt will increase from 322 rupees to 342 rupees, which is huge. Now, as so what does this mean? It means that once we get out of COVID-19 and we focus on reviving growth, we need to focus on a reverse bail-in that is we need to also focus on reducing our debt levels because as we have seen in the 70s and 80s high levels of debt can be very very punishing for an economy they can cause lots of problems so for especially for a country like emerging market like India we need to focus on keeping our debt levels in check and the RBI until now has done very well under that aspect so moving on now let's see what else yeah capital flows again as I mentioned earlier, emerging markets, money starts moving out the moment a crisis starts. As we can see, cumulative capital outflows have been seen and these out dwarf anything during GFC, uh, the global financial crisis and the taper tantrum, which was the situation that happened in 2030. What does this mean? It means that this situation is bad. If the money going out is so much higher than those situations, it means that, such is that the situation is also that much worse. So any abrupt interruption capital flows would put EMs at high risk. As I mentioned, EMs, that is emerging market economies like India, Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, Russia, and Turkey, and more. These are the ones who are at the highest risk. Now, again, global. So this is something that I want to focus on. This is interesting. So the global bond markets. The bond markets are a situation where Europe has a prolonged economic slowdown, and the US has a shallow recovery. However, the situation has been the reverse of it, the Europe is seeing a shallow recovery on the back of uh, the them controlling COVID-19 very well and the US because it could not control COVID-19 is in the face of a prolonged economic slowdown. So it will be interesting to see how the global bond markets proceed now that the situation that they predicted is the reverse of the situation that's happening now. Again, moving on, as I said. In times of crisis, you want safe assets that will not fail you. And the US dollar represents the safest asset of all. So therefore, a key fear of the global economy is that there will be a dollar shortage. However, due to the swap lines, swap lines are basically the uh, Federal Reserve telling all the other central banks, we will give you money as long as you give your own currency. For example, Turkey can exchange its lira for, for dollars with the Federal Reserve. The federal government has set up swap lines and more. So while there is a fear of dollar shortage, I believe that the Federal gov- uh, Federal Reserve, because their governor is one who is willing to do anything to maintain a supply of dollars in the economy, should not be a problem. Moving on, these are all aspects that you can read about, but these are not important. Commodity markets followers, yeah, this is important. So amidst a sharp pullback in demand, this is this was a feature that is noted few months back. The forward curve for Brent futures, Brent futures is for oil. It changed from backwardation to contagio. That means so let's examine why this went into negative prices right for example so oil, so to mo- the oil companies that are present they cannot immediately stop production of their oil even if they want to the, pro- the reason for that is that if they immediately stop producing oil the oil wells might permanently shut off and they might not be able to recover the oil well so even if and second is that oil production is a lagging indicator for example the oil that i'm getting today would have probably been produced say 20 or 30 days back so therefore because of this and uh, because of this the prices fell down however uh, now we need to talk let's see here open interest in brent options the calls of a 40 strike basically this they're saying that the oil the oil will not go above 40 dollars and below 20 strike that means that they expect the oil, the oil to remain between 20 to 40 dollars per barrel has meant that the market believes that the possibility of such low crude prices will not be possible going forward. If the market believes that such prices are, cannot be possible, that's a good thing because earlier the market was very pessimistic. Them being optimistic is a good thing. Now. Why is why has this recovery taken place? The recovery has taken place because OPEC, which is the oil producing, uh, oil petroleum exporting countries like Saudi Arabia and all have agreed to cut down on the production, which is a good thing. They said that we are producing too much due to which the price is falling. So therefore they cut down on the production. One more thing is that in China and in India, the demand for oil has increased. So since we are the heavier one of the heaviest consumers of oil, India and China are consuming oil, and the they have uh, the producers have cut their supply because of this oil price is finally coming back. Now, again, coming to industrial metals, the demand for industrial metals has witnessed severe contraction, which is a bad thing because unlike oil, it does not go forward or backward that easily as inventory overhang. That is, you know, there been oil has been produced but no one is ready to buy it that is not uh, there in metals and metals is a area that has to be that will be affected for a very long time it's a problematic area so again uh, moving on to the domestic micro let's move on to India's macro uh, situation GDP growth in India has slumped to its lowest level of 4.2%, which is in 2019-20, which is primarily because of the quarter four. So quarter four in India is different from the world. It's not October, November, December. It's actually January, February, March. So quarter four is at 3.1%. That is because January and February managed to stabilize the fall in growth in March moving on recent macroeconomic developments a key feature is due to covid-19 both urban and rural sectors have been affected domestic activity has come to a standstill in april 2020 and one more thing finally yes in august the demand uh, uh, the demand and economic development has started to increase But the problem is that it has plateaued now, like it's increased a bit and it's plateaued. However, a key thing to note that the level at which it's stabilized now, it's much lower than the initial pre-COVID levels. And again, uh inflation and any other growth has been primarily driven by agriculture and al- agriculture is doing very well since india heavily depends on agriculture that is a good thing and so the prediction for india recovering is that is con- contingent upon the support for robust health infrastructure recovery and demand basically we need to control COVID, and we need to ho- hope that the, go- the global economy bounces back let's focus on a very Another aspect that is the finances of the government, Indian government always runs in fiscal deficit. Our spendings are very high and our tax revenue is very low. So it will. it is very interesting to note how the government has fared in this situation. Central government's fiscal revenues have been badly hit by COVID-19 because uh, because of covid 19 we've been spending a lot more right because we need hospitals we need to stay send stimulus to the economy so our expenditures have gone up but because people are not producing our tax has gone down so expenditures up tax revenue down which means our finances are heavily affected state governments on the other hand are even more vulnerable because state governments receive on certain a major amount of their money from the central government is central that is this the technical term for that is federal transfers if federal transfers take a huge hit states are at a huge huge risk uh, for example the gdp collections for the law the latest report usually before covid19 it used to be around 190000 crores however due to covid19 this time it is reduced to only ninety thousand crores which is huge L- again borrowing has increased And one good thing is that this is not spilled over to the bond market. The bond market is doing pretty well uh, moving forward. Current account balance is turned into a small surplus The reason in quarter four of 2019 because of lower trade deficit and a sharp rise in net invisible receipts. Now, what do we mean by invisible receipts? Invisible receipts means services. For example, the Indian IT sector that represents an invisible receipt because we are not providing anything solid to them. So, the re, so in quarter four, that is Jan, January, February, March, the current account balance uh, improved a bit from. Uh, Improved a bit moving on uh, now the exports and imports have collapsed due to COVID-19 Which is kind of expected and the figures are 47.5 and 54.7 percent respectively and uh, so uh, again As I mentioned, again, foreign portfolio investment, which is the money flowing in from outside the country, which earlier used to be net uh, inflows, which is that money used to come into India, reversed into net outflows. Again, as I mentioned earlier, this is the same scenario, which is bad. We want money to come into India and not go out. Uh, Moving on. Yes, this is a term that you will keep seeing now as we move into financial institutions, risk averse behavior. What does risk averse behavior mean? risk averse behavior means that you immediately uh, assume that the future is you assume that the future is going to be bad so when you, you when you think that the future is going to be bad there are two things you do first you beef up your existing finances so therefore banks have started maintaining a lot more money with them so that if they need it they can dispense the money so they started storing a lot more money the technical term for this is that they have increased their liquidity uh, liquidity uh, uh, available to them second since they have become risk averse, they're also giving out a lot less money, which is bad for the economy, right? If the banks are not giving out money, which will be used for development and production to take place, it means that the economy is going to be affected. Now let's move on to the corporate sector. How is the corporate sector performed? Nominal sales and net profits are down by 3.4 and 19.3% again. And why is this? There's another, so obviously them going down is bad for the economy because the economy goes down another thing is if they go down they're also not paying taxes the amount of taxes that they're paying also reduces since government of india already has very less ta- a small tax base that the amount of people who pay taxes is very small The people who are paying, if they start paying lesser tax, that again is a huge problem. So the poor performance has been primarily led by manufacturing companies. As I already mentioned, manufacturing has been heavily hit. However, the good thing is that the IT sector is doing pretty well. And since the services is the future of the Indian economy, there is some level of optimism that we can keep since they are doing well. Now, this is a very important term, deleveraging. What So leveraging means... Leveraging is mentioned by the debt to asset ratio. That is the amount of debt you have to uh, as a, a fraction of the assets that you have. So deleveraging is a good thing. Because what does deleveraging mean? Deleveraging means that you're reducing your debt with respect to your uh, assets. Deleveraging is stalled, which is a bad thing because uh, they're not reducing the debt. And however, the, one of the bigger problem is that the debt that, was, that is being taken it's being taken to not it's being taken to give out loans so that companies can stay afloat and not towards capital formation that is that instead of trying to say improve their company they're only using that money to keep their companies running which is a bad thing and uh, an analysis of this so non-psu companies are delivered substantially related to public sector so basically non-psu companies are doing better because they have reduced their debt However, since they are not increasing their uh, growth or operating profit to sales ratio, that is, they are not growing well, it is still a problem like their debt is coming down, but their profits are not increasing, which is still a bad thing. I uh, moving on. Yes. So again, this is again a problem. So. Again, coming back to uh, the topic that I mentioned earlier, loan moratoriums, that the RBI through has, has requested the banks to provide loan moratoriums, right? So nearly half of the consum- customers accounting for around half of the outstanding bank loans opted to avail the benefit of relief measures. What does this mean? It means that half of the consumers who are, who are given the chance to take the loans have taken the loans while i hope that the reason why they took it is because they wanted easy credit the pessimistic scenario would be that the reason they took the loans is because they had no other options now let's look at the credit Uh, so when you give out a credit there's a rating system that follows the highest is i think uh, aaa followed by aa anything about aa and above is very uh, the aaa i am not really sure about sorry but anything aa and above is good it means that you're credit worthy for example if you're a aa rated or above consumer and i'm giving a loan to you it means that there's a very high probability that you will give it back to me and since you are going to give it back to me the interest that i charge from you will be lower so In good times, since banks want higher returns, they will also give loans and extend credit to those whose rankings of credit are lesser than AA. But in bad times, they will only give to those who have good credit. So PSB refers to public sector banks, for example, State Bank of India and all. PVB refers to private sector banks, that is, uh, for example, say uh, ICICI, Standard Chartered, etc. So P- the private sector banks are still registering positive growth, pro- which is a good thing. And PSBs, because you know there has been the government is trying to cut down on NPS and everything. There has been a sharp credit contraction. That is, they have stopped giving loans to anyone who does not have, uh, uh, who reduced giving loans to anyone who does not have a double A and above credit rating. Uh, moving on, uh, just hold on. Oh, one second. I'm so sorry for the delay. Yes. Uh, Wait, I'm so sorry. Uh, just one sec page 30, just one. Give me one minute. I'm so sorry for the delay. I'm just, the page has gotten lost. Uh, Just one minute. I'm so sorry for the delay. Uh just 1 minute for the delay so sorry for it guys
0: yes so uh so p p uh, private sector
1: banks have registered positive credit growth and uh, public sector gra- banks have stopped giving loans because they're worried because of the uh, strict government action they don't want to give loans to anyone so even private sector banks have shown high again the same word comes again risk aversion even they are showing heightened risk aversion and they're careful about giving loans again credit flow credit flow represents how the money is flowing in the economy in good times the credit flow will be very good in bad times credit flow will be very low so again the major recipient of the credit flow has been the public sector undertakings for example uh, For example, say sale or any of the government under because governments government PSUs are uh, generally thought of to be less risky because the government backs them. If the major recipient is the PSU sector, it's a bad thing because it means that uh, they are only. they're only willing to give it to the safe people the relative lack of access to credit for borrowers rated a and below during this period is common across both public sector and private sector banks as i mentioned the behavior of private banks with respect to credit rating a and below is in particular contrast to the credit code profile in 2018-19 look at this table so basically in march 2019 even for a and below credit from private sector banks is growing at 13.35% that is they were willing to give it even if your credit rating was bad but now they've come down to minus 0.56% that is credit is going down which means that they are very very careful about giving loans day, day past due, uh, due dpd represents how many uh, people have taken loans are not are have a delay and day plus due or dpd has been on the uptick moving on sector so We've, then the report analyzes sectoral allocation of credit. Basically, they analyzed where all is credit going. And they realized that people uh, the sectors with lower credit have generally dominated credit growth. So that means that even when the amount of credit going has increased, it's only going to less risky places, which is a bad thing. Where is it going? It has mostly gone to state and central PSUs, which is the government undertakings. And it has also gone to agriculture, because agriculture has strong future. Uh, this year is expected to be good now again concluding this top five private sector banks have said that they're not they are they they have adequate money that is they're not liquidity constrained. the reason they're not giving out loans is not because they don't have money they have money but again the same term risk covers they have money but they're scared to give it out which means that they're scared about how the economy is going to move forward moving on yes the composition so in the financial sector the composition of the holdings that people have the standard assets the largest share is of bonds rated double a and above which means that again people are still risk covers, and it also means one thing one sec sorry yeah so since a majority of assets are rated a and a and above it means that our financial market is increasingly resilient to shocks that is even if a shock comes our way we will be willing to handle we have the capability to handle it which means that it's a good thing however the uh, stress tests that were taken notice that even if you're some uh, bonds that were rated double A and above even they are uh, vulnerable to shocks and therefore we still need to be careful basically they're saying that we have the summary of this is that we have adequate money but we are scared to give it out and even when we are giving it out we should be careful because even the ones that appear to be safe may not be safe that is a three line summary of the whole financial market situation and we can skip this uh, because it's not very important yeah special liquidity window for mutual funds to mitigate the effects so because mutual funds over the last few years have been playing an increasing role the because it has become more and more important in the economy because people have been increasing it and therefore the RBI has taken note of it and they've extended a special liquidity window for mutual funds that is even if a mutual fund is on the verge of a bankruptcy or anything the rbi has set up a liquidity window so that they can access funds this is this shows the proactive nature of rbi which is a good thing that the rbi is responding to the crisis as it goes and they're willing to do anything that it takes again deployment of debt aum aum means assets under management in government secured so government securities are again the safer option so deployment of debt aum in government securities as a a uh, proportion of total debt has been on an uptrend that it's, it's increasing. So if your AOM or the, or the assets under your management, that is the total value of money that you're managing is increasingly in government sector bonds. It means that you don't want to take risks again, the trend that has been noted again and again, that people are risk averse. And this is an interesting thing, volatility in the net, net asset value of three representative scheme shows. Dislocation of the asset markets induced by drawdown and death in March 2020, even daily dividend schemes, which are considered relatively risk free were impacted as the lockdown. What they're basically saying is that volatility has increased, which is that the risks have increased and that the, the, the even the lowest risk ones, that is the ones that are considered practically risk free have been impacted by the lockdown. That is people are scared of putting their money and they're not putting their money. I know that this, I've been repeating the same terms like risk covers and not willing to put their money again and again, but that is the general trend that is being seen in the economy everywhere across sectors. And that is the reason why those terms are being reported. And again, so one thing that we need to note over here is that if in a single bo- investment, a single corporate is investing, it is a bad thing. Because if that corporate fails, the whole fund, where they the, the place where they've invested will fall down because a single corporate had uh, invested in them. This is a bad thing. Therefore, uh, the RBI, I think, had put out a regulation that restricted it. However, there's still a problem. Imagine that there's a very big fund and they are investing significant amounts of money in one, two, three, four, five, six. Even though they've limited the share in each of it, since they're investing in every one of them, If they face bankruptcy or if they pull out saying that we we don't want to take this risk Significant problems can be caused, so therefore that's a cause for worry However, since uh, And there's one more thing that uh, large fund size is being preferred now Is that if you're a large fund, there's a higher chance that the government will bail you out Which is why people are preferring large funds over now So again, yeah, like I mentioned, few corporate houses distributing the surplus or four or five fund houses Sorry, few corporates distributing the surplus over four or five fund houses, and hence exits during times of stress could still be a problematic or concerted. That is, even if they restrict themselves in in with in investing in too much in a single thing, but they invest heavily in five and they pull out of all five, a problem can be caused. That is something that we need to be careful about. Again, NCD or non-convertible dentures, complex terms, we don't need to know what exactly they are for what we are discussing. All we need to see is that CPs or corporate paper, one second, CP or commercial paper have seen a declining tendency. That means that recent issuance have been dominated by non-financial companies and financial companies are not giving their issuances. This means that the economy is still very uncertain and uh, if the economy had been good they would be issuing, uh, they would have been increasing their issue of commercial paper. Since it's decreasing it's a problematic area. Moving on to the housing market. So in housing market demand and liquidity constraints have intensified that is that so uh, let's focus on the most important part and so basically a key feature of the since you know the problems that have happened in the last 10 years where the construction houses have delayed the position of apartments consumers nowadays are preferring to buy ready to move homes instead of uh, what do you say buying homes that are still under construction because of that the adverse effect of the COVID-19 has been the sale of under construction homes because earlier also it was bad and now also it ha- It has become worse due to COVID-19. The stock of unsold houses have shrank and there is an inventory overhang that is, houses are ready but no one has bought them. The inventory overhang majorly consists of houses that were sold much earlier when they were still under construction. Like I said, under construction projects continue to constitute 70-80% to of the household inventory. Finally, coming to the Uh, A systemic risk survey or SRS has been undertaken by the RBI and uh, they mentioned this. The major problems, the major risks that they see are global risks, that is risks caused by other economies. For example, a crash in say Europe or US, risk perceptions on macroeconomic conditions, for example, inflation falling below 4% or growth falling to negative aspects. These are causes for issue. Other than this, these have been perceived as high risk to domestic growth that is domestic growth falling down since the government is borrowing heavily and our revenues are falling fiscal deficit increasing are very high that this is a bigger problem for a country like india fiscal debt fiscal deficit is a term so what is fiscal deficit basically a fiscal deficit deficit is a situation where your spending outpaces your uh, earnings so if you are spending more than you are earning the difference that difference is known as a fiscal deficit so because of covid 19 it's expected that the fiscal deficit will be increasing and therefore it has been placed in the high risk category and again uh, risks on account of reversal of FII and slowdown in FDI, that is capital outflow that I already mentioned. That money from uh, advanced uh, money money and capital flowing out of India. Corporate sector, sorry, corporate sector vulnerabilities, that is the corporates collapsing. These are all problems that are causing collapsing real estate prices All uh, and increased household savings. So you need to see one thing. We always think that more savings are good, right? However, that's not always the case. If if a household is saving most of their money, what does this mean? Two things. One, since they are not investing in the economy because they believe that the money might sink, there is lesser money in the economy. Lesser money in the economy means lesser growth. Second since they are saving much more it means that they assume that the tomorrow's market situation is going to be bad so if there's a heavy increase in savings across the economy it is usually a very good signal of whether a recession is in place similarly since we are in a recession right now and household savings have increased that is again so again household savings is a very good indicator of how the market is going finally uh, coming to the end of it uh, so this is what most of the respondents to the survey think that the uh, There will be a slow recovery post lockdown, that is even after the lockdown is over, the recovery will be very slow, the lower net interest margins, that is we will recover but the profits, that so this is for the banks, okay, so the recovery of banks will be slow, their profit margins will reduce because the interest rates have come down and in elevated asset quality concerns which basically means that the loans that they've given there's a higher risk that the loans might default and finally the three sectors that will be most heavily that have been most heavily uh, affected by COVID-19 are tourism and hospitality obviously because of the virus construction and real estate because they need heavy amounts of capital to be invested and no one is willing to invest that heavy amount of money because houses are very expensive and people don't want to ex- invest in expensive things right now and aviation, again, just like travel is travel and tourism has collapsed, aviation has collapsed. The prospects of a recovery in the next six months are bleak and higher, imp- so this is again as we mentioned that the growth recovery seems to be very bleak and higher emphasis on localization. This is not the uh, key focus of this paper, but what this basically means is that going forward because of the increased tensions between economy, for example, China, India are are not on speaking terms right now. US and China have been through a trade war and it's still risky right now. For example, TikTok was banned by India. TikTok and other apps were banned by India. US is considering banning a lot of them. So therefore, higher emphasis will be given on localization as we move. So basically, this represents a shift until now globalization is used to be the trend now greater focus will be given on localization finally summarizing all that we've seen uh what does this basically mean unprecedented certainty word that we've seen again and again financial market have finally stabilized because of unprecedented fiscal and monetary stimulus that is the governments and central banks have responded very well they have given they've done everything that they can and that has helped prevent the situation from being more worse than it already is and bank again risk aversion that is bank credit is present but they're not willing to lend it out capital flows that initially flew out of India that the money went out very fast in the first quarter is slowly coming back but even then it's very very less and therefore it's still a problem and adequate levels so this is a good thing the RBI has heavy amounts of uh, foreign exchange reserves for example we recently conducted a swap and we provided dollars to Sri Lanka because they had a shortage of dollars so this represents a good thing on part of the RBI because they have maintained heavy exchange reserves so finally concluding this unprecedented scenario government and the central bank have responded very well but even then everything is very very uncertain and it remains to be seen how we go forward moving forward i'd like to uh, move on and uh, shift to vishwas vishwas will be taking over the presentation for the second part of it thank you for bearing with me and i'm really sorry if i spoke for too long
2: okay so thank you kudlegi and uh like, I would ask you to like uh, open the PPD now if you could share the PPD
1: uh, is it visible now financial institutions soundness and resilience
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: so uh, that was like a really great uh, overview about the first chapter Kudligi. and uh, now I'll be taking the second chapter the financial institutions and soundness uh, their soundness and the, uh, resilience
0: so uh, Kudligi, uh, next PPD.
2: So uh, basically in this portion, what I'm going to be talking about are uh, the performance of various types of banks during the financial year 2019-20. So uh, the first uh, type of bank that we are going to look at is the Scheduled Commercial Bank. So uh, first of all, uh, uh, since like I don't really have an uh, economics background, so uh, I learned it uh, a lot on my own so uh, i'm going to make it digestible for you guys also so that you can learn if you don't even have any uh, prior economics bank background i'll be uh, telling about each and every term breaking them into uh, like uh, short portions and uh, talking about the implications whether uh, like growth of something is good or growth of something is bad so uh, yeah it's going to be uh, quite bite-sized so let's talk about scheduled commercial bank So what are scheduled commercial banks? Scheduled commercial banks are those banks which are included in the second schedule of RBI Act 1934. They carry out normal business of banking, such as like accepting deposits, giving out loans and other like banking services. Uh, So the major difference between scheduled commercial banks and scheduled cooperative banks are their holding patterns. Since cooperatives are registered under the cooperative societies act as cooperative credit institutions. Uh, I'll be talking about cooperative uh, banks later in this uh, PPT. So, uh, yeah, uh, we'll talk about scheduled co- cooperative banks then. Uh, the banks included in the scheduled list, the RBI Act uh, list, should basic, uh, basically fulfill these two conditions: the paid capital and collected funds of the bank should not be less than rupees five lakh, and any activity of the bank will not adversely affect the interest of depositors. Also uh, scheduled banks enjoy some facilities. The most important being uh, scheduled banks become eligible for debts and loans on the bank rate from the RBI. Now I'll be talking about what basically, what was the performance of the of these scheduled uh, commercial banks? Uh, the credit growth. So what is credit growth? Basically the credit growth uh, is basically increase in loans for the private sectors individuals or public organizations so basically what happens uh, when the credit is increasing consumers can borrow and spend more and businesses can uh, invest like borrow and invest more so the credit growth of the scheduled commercialized banks year over year uh Y-O-Y, which was already very weak in the first of the financial year 2019-20 it slid further down to 5.9 percent with no recovery till june uh, so what does this basically mean This means that uh, the credit growth, uh, the implication was the credit growth uh, basically uh, is not increasing. So uh, what I said that uh, like consumers cannot borrow and spend more, businesses cannot borrow and invest more. So that was the major implication of the credit growth not uh, increasing. Uh, The next thing that we'll be looking into is the profitability ratio. Uh, the, the next thing we'll be looking into is the profitability ratio. Uh, that is return on assets uh, and return on equity. So what happened during the profitability ratio, like during the financial year 2019-20, they declined in the second half of the financial uh, year 2019-20 across all bank groups, like schedule uh, uh, banks. They contain uh, majorly five uh, uh, banks, uh, uh, portions among them, uh, like Kudligi talked about uh, private sector banks, public sector banks, foreign banks, and uh, uh, some other uh, banks. Uh, So uh, uh, this happened, the profitability ratio. Basically, what is the meaning of profitability ratio? Profitability ratio is nothing but uh, like the uh, profitability compared to uh, the last financial year, basically. So that is what they talk about in the profitability ratio. That basically the profits fell, the return on assets, it was low. The return on equity, it was also low. Uh, Now we'll be talking about the GNPA. Uh, the gross uh, non performing assets so uh, for this i'll first like to introduce the term npa like most of the people most uh, of you guys uh, must be knowing this but some of you may not so i'll be explaining npa too so what do you mean by npa npa are the non performing assets uh, some guys also uh, like to term this as uh, call this as bad loans so uh, non performing asset a uh, non performing asset is classified when uh, the loans uh, or advances they are in default or in areas in default meaning that you know the person is not able to pay back or in areas mean like you know for a fixed amount of time he hasn't paid back NPA's plays uh, like uh, financial burden on the lender a significant number of NPA's over time may indicate to regulators that the financial health of uh, the like country and the system is in jeopardy so what happened uh, in the gross non-performing asset ratio across all uh, scheduled commercialized banks is that uh, they had reached 9.3% in september 29 but they have come down to 8.5% since then so uh, what is the meaning like of this the implication is basically that the lower the ratio is it is the good for bank as it reflects that uh, more loans are standard assets standard assets meaning that they can be recovered recovered on time so uh, basically as low as gnpa is that is better for the banks so that is uh, basically what GNPA means. Now uh, we'll be talking about like quality of banks sectorally. Sectorly, uh, the quality of banks to service sector worsened in March 2020. The GNPA ratios in this sector, they surged, which means that uh, basically uh, NPAs, the gross NPAs, they basically increase. So that is not good for the banks. So the service sectors worsened in this regard. Whereas the infrastructure sector and the basic metal sector, the GNP ratios came down in this, uh, uh, in these sectors. So that means that these sectors in this regard are performing much better than the services sector. Uh, we'll be talking about large borrowers also now. Large borrowers accounted for uh, 78.3% of aggregate loan portfolio. Uh, 50, uh, sorry, uh, 51.3% of the aggregate loan portfolio and 78.3% of GNPs respectively, uh, from SCVs, SCVs uh, in March 2020. Both these shares have declined since March 2018, implying that uh, basically the credit and the NPA aggressions are occurring in the small borrower category. So basically, uh, what is a large borrower? A large borrower is defined as one who has aggregate fund-based and non-fund-based exposure of 5 crore and above so uh basically what does this mean that the ratio has come down that uh, the large borrowers they are uh, uh, not being the npa anymore like uh, and the small borrowers like they are defaulting on their credits so that is what is happening that is what uh, this signifies the bank, uh, banking stability indicator so now this is something uh, very interesting so the banking stability uh, indicator is basically Uh, It is an indicator, it considers five dimensions for assessing the changes in the underlying conditions and the risk factors. So uh, the five uh, uh, dimensions are soundness, liquidity, efficiency and quality and profitability. So uh, here uh, for the financial year 2019-20, we have sort of a mixed response. SCBs have uh, recorded deterioration in soundness, liquidity and efficiency in march 2020 as compared to september 2019 position whereas asset quality and profitability showed marginal improvement so uh, basically uh, in three regards the stability indicator showed that you know we have deteriorated whereas in asset quality and profitability uh, we have shown a marginal improvement but this marginal improvement isn't a thing to be happy about basically because uh, no comfort can be drawn from this fact uh, uh, because any loss of income from the banks during this COVID-19 thing, it will only be visible in the first quarter of 2020-21. Basically, whatever loss that they are suffering right now, we cannot see it. We'll be able to see it when the next report comes out. So, uh, it doesn't really matter that there was a marginal improvement in quality and profitability because uh, the banks, like as we know, they are in losses. So uh, this would basically be shown in the next report. So uh, now I'll touch about uh, something which could also talked about a bit in his uh, uh, like uh, portion, the macro stress tests. So uh, the macro stress tests, uh, they basically attempt to analyze the impact of cumulative shocks. Uh, so shocks are basically anything that, you know, uh, like, like COVID-19 was an unprecedented shock. So something which is like, which is going to hit the, like financial institutions of a country, a country so those are like shocks so uh macro stresses what they basically do they analyze the impact of such shock, uh, shocks so uh like already already talked about that uh, the baseline scenario uh is uh like 8.7 percent and like uh, after that uh, the like uh, it may increase from 8.5 percent to uh 12.5 percent by march 2021 under the baseline scenario and the macroeconomic environment, if it further worsens, the ratio may escalate to 14.7% under very severe stress. So these uh, uh, macro stress tests, they have three uh, uh, basically uh, 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 conditions. So the first is the uh, medium severe uh, adverse scenario, uh, the medium adverse scenario, the severe adverse scenario and a very severe adverse scenario so the medium adverse uh, adverse scenario is the basically the baseline scenario the severe uh, adverse scenario is uh, uh, basically uh, multiplying the already existing uh, like uh, variables by increasing basically their value by 0.25 uh, the severe uh, uh, scenario is increasing their uh, like uh, uh, the variables, the shocks from one point two five to two SD, whereas the very very severe uh, adverse uh, scenarios are those in which uh, the variables they are increased from two point two five to three uh, SD shocks. So uh, this is what happens. But uh, uh, let us uh, talk further out in this regard because the percentages which RBI is talking about they might not be. Like you know, the expected ones, and the situation can be much much worse than the RBI is uh, like portraying it to be because it has done so in the uh, previous reports as well. Like, uh, uh, yes. hello. Yeah, so uh, I was still on the previous side, like the scheduled portion only. The previous one, yeah, so uh, the macro stress tests. So previously, uh between thirty-first March, twenty fourteen, and thirty-first March, twenty eighteen, there was a lot of bad loans being uh, like reported, and you know the financial, the health of the financial system that wasn't really well. In that time, the actual bad loans rate turned out to be much, much more than RBI's forecast. Uh, even in the like very severe scenario, like in March, twenty fifteen, RBI was forecasting that even under the severe stress scenario the bad loans, the NPS would at most reach 4.5 trillion rupees. Whereas by March 29, the total NPS had stood at 10.36 trillion rupees. So uh, basically economy could be in a very worse condition than RBI is uh, like, putting it out to be. And that is usually the case. Uh, so now we'll talk about that. Why doesn't basically RBI, uh, Tell us the real numbers, sort of. So, uh, if the RBI would have gotten out and said that uh, you know uh, the NPA's, uh, the total NPA's, they'll stand at 10.36 trillion. So that would have scared all the financial institutions like uh, in the country, and uh, that would have been basically a very bad uh, economic scenario. Uh, so what they did was they increased it from year on year basis so basically what they did was ki, uh let's say in year 2014 they said that you know the nps would be somewhere around 3 to 4 uh, uh, trillion then in uh, 2015 they increased it by one trillion in 2016 they increased it by another one trillion so uh, like this uh, they basically uh, changed their uh, forecast yearly so that uh, as to not g- give a massive shock to the financial system. So uh, that is why uh, RBI basically does that. So that was one interesting thing that uh, I found. And uh, the system level CRAR. So what is CRAR? CRAR is a capital to risk assets ratio. So capital to risk asset ratio, it is also known as capital adequacy ratio. So the uh, system uh, level CRAR it is projected to drop from 14.6% in march 2020 to 13.3% in march 2021 under the baseline scenario and to 11.8% another very severe uh, scenario so uh basically higher CRAR means that a bank is better capitalized what is the meaning of a bank being better capitalized capitalized means that delaying full recognition of the expense uh, basically uh, let's say ki, uh, uh, the firm of a bank or a firm or something uh, of an institution uh, like because this capitalization thing it applies to not only the financial sector but uh, the companies too so uh, like uh, delaying that uh, uh, it is a way so that the pro A bank, they can show that you know that uh, you know, like uh, we are capitalized, so uh, the profits they are not reducing in this year. The, the uh, basically, they it is that uh, in simpler words, it is this uh, tendency to uh, uh, how to put it. Well, uh, uh, so uh, I'm a bit stuck here. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, what it meant uh, was that the the, reduce, uh, the losses, you basically spread it over a, log- a larger period of time. Yeah. So, uh, either, so let's say that, uh, you know, instead of reporting that, you know, you have re- uh, like, you know, the profits have been so less. Uh, if a bank is better capitalized, it can uh, carry forward that to the next year and basically uh, say that, you know, uh that the profits haven't been so low and like you know so it's basically the uh, how spread over the uh, financial system can be so the next slide so uh, now we'll be talking about the scheduled urban cooperative banks so uh a bank which is established to provide banking services to individuals and businesses that is called a commercial bank while a cooperative bank is a bank that provides financing to agro all, uh, and uh, uh, ruler industry, uh, industries industries um, so uh, scheduled cooperative banks they also consist of uh, two like sectors scheduled state cooperative banks and scheduled urban cooperative banks in this uh, report RBI has talked about scheduled urban cooperative banks. And uh, that is the portion that I'll be covering too. So uh, the performance of the scheduled urban cooperative banks, it broadly remained stable between September 2019 and March 2020. Uh, this can be attributed uh, to the fact that basically both these banks, like, like the scheduled commercial bank and the scheduled cooperative banks, they target different things well uh, the scheduled commercial banks as like the name suggests it's a commercial bank so uh it targets profitability whereas scheduled urban cooperative banks it is a cooperative so and that too for like agro-industry based things so it targets different uh, thing like community welfare and like financial uh, security of all those like stakeholders involved so that is why the a scheduled urban cooperative banks they did not suffer as much as the scheduled uh, like uh, commercial banks so the uh, they re- re- remained uh, quite stable between September 2019 to March 2020 the CRAR of uh, these urban cooperative banks remained at nine point eight percent for both the quarters no change and their GnPA they declined for 10 point five percent of gross loans and advances to nine point nine percent this is a good thing because the lesser the GPA the better the standard assets and the that is the better for the bank the uh, provision coverage ratio that increased from 40.9 percent to 61.4 percent over this period now what is provision co- uh, coverage ratio in backs in in banking term provisioning means to set aside or provide some funds to cover up losses if things go wrong and some of their loans turn into bad assets provisioning coverage ratio refers to the prescribed percentage of funds to be set aside by the banks for covering the prospective losses due to bad loans or NPS. So basically, the increase of the co- uh, provision coverage ratios is a good thing because now the uh, like the banks these are better secured uh, in terms of the loss due to NPS. So uh, uh, this was it for the scheduled urban cooperative banks. Uh, the now we'll be going up to the next side, the non-banking financial companies. So, what are non-banking financial companies? Non-banking financial companies (NBFCs) uh, are basically financial institutions that offer various banking services, but they do not have a banking license. So, that is uh, basically what is the definition of the NBFCs. Uh, although uh, the size of NBFCs compared to these uh, scheduled banks, it is like very less. Like on the balance sheet size, it is one fifth of the uh, uh, SCBs the importance of the former like these uh, nbs's lies in the fact that the last mile credit de- delivery and the niche segment support in the indian financial system that is provided by the non-banking uh, financial companies so now i use a lot of jargon again so i'll be explaining that what is the meaning of last mile credit de- delivery so last mile is an operations term it means basically that in a uh, it is used to describe the short geographical segment of delivery of communication so uh, and uh, media uh, media services to customers located in dense area. Basically, uh, the last part of the operation. Like let me uh, let me break it down to you. Let's say uh, like all of us would have uh, uh, like ordered something from uh, e-commerce websites. Let's say Amazon. So you know you can trace your orders. So the last part, like uh, when uh, the ocean has reached to your respective cities and you get a message that you know the person is uh, uh, out for delivery so that can be talked about as a last mile thing so last mile what do you mean by last mile credit delivery basically non-banking financial uh, companies uh, they are much more approachable for like uh, most of the indian population so that is what they meant by uh, last mile credit delivery the importance of last uh, uh, mile creatively delivery, uh, delivery for non-banking financial companies and uh, some of the nbfc's they focus on very niche ma- areas so that is also important for a healthy growth of indian financial system so what happened in the nbfc's the gnp ratio of the nbfc sector it declined during uh, like uh, successive quarters in uh, december 29th however it surged in the march 2020 quarter So basically what happened was uh, that, like it showed promise this uh, NBFC sector that, uh, you know, the the, in with regards to the GNPA, it is, uh, you know, on a decline and, you know, the asset quality, it is basically increasing. But uh, uh, in the light of this uh, lockdown and this whole COVID-19 thing, uh, the sector again, it reported an increase in the GNPA ratio. The CRAR of the sector stood at nineteen point six percent in March twenty twenty, so uh, which is lower than a level that it was uh, ago. So that means that uh, the CAR being uh, less is a bad thing because that means that a like a the institution isn't uh, better capitalized. It is not as capitalized as it as it was last year. Also, uh, there has been a decline in market funding of NBFCs during COVID. So that is a a really important thing to worry about because the declining share of market funding, uh, it basically has the potential to accentuate liquidity risks for NBFCs as well as for the whole financial systems. So small size, uh, mid-size uh, and uh, like A or lower rated NBFCs, they have been shunned by both banks and markets uh, basically uh, which are accentuating the liquidity tensions faced by the NBFCs. So now I talked about liquidity risks here. So I'll be explaining the term liquidity. Liquidity is the ability of a firm or a company or even an individual to pay its debt without suffering uh, catastrophic losses. Conversely, liquidity risk stems from the lack of marketability of an investment that cannot be bought or sold quickly enough to prevent or minimize the loss. Now, uh, basically stress tests for the NBFC sectors, uh, they were uh, on the same line as the scheduled commercial banks. And uh, uh, they showed the similar pattern. So there's nothing to talk about here. So uh, now to the next slide. so now we'll be talking about the network of the financial system so this might be perhaps the most uh, let's say logical slide in this regard that there aren't many uh, banking lexicons to be understood and uh, basically it talks about that how a financial system works like in a network and like what is its structure so uh, A financial system, it can be visualized as a network with financial institutions at nodes and bilateral exposures as links joining these nodes. So basically, what do we mean by this regard is that, you know, there is a lot of interdependence between all the banks, all the NBFCs, all these like urban cooperative banks, commercialized banks, and they are independent on each other. They are dependent on each other, sorry. So that is what it talks about that. Financial institutions have nodes and bilateral exposures, like basically the exposures that they each other, uh, the each of the banks or the sectors have has with the other, that can be considered as a link. So while these links enable efficiency gains and this diversification, they can also conduits. Uh, they can also become the conduits of risk transmission in cases of crisis like we are suffering right now. So basically, what they are trying to tell is that all these financial institutions, they are sort of connected with each other and the uh, through the links and that is a good thing because uh, when some sector like you know one of the sectors is booming or the economy is booming all the sectors they can like you know they have dependence on each other so they can uh, benefit from each other but in the cases uh, of shocks like uh, this COVID 19 thing was an unprecedented shock since uh, one sector is suffering so all the sectors they'll suffer sort of together basically it will be transferring like you know let's say the commercial banks those are suffering so the suffering uh, they, it will be transferred to the nbfc's in a like some period so that is what they mean that uh, you know the all the financial systems the network it is a network and they are interconnected and uh, there was also a model which talked about the similarity of pandemics to financial crisis so uh, like uh, the pandemic transmission is a probabilistic transmission a healthy person coming in contact with an infected one will catch the infection with a certain probability so uh, that can be also said about the you know transfer of uh, financial uh, basically health from one uh, sector to the other sector such probabilistic conditions imply that uh, uh, basically the financial in the financial sense, there's like you know uh, it uh, it might be a case that you know like uh, since it is a probabilistic approach that you know the uh, commercial banks they don't really affect the NBFCs. That can happen due to a probabilistic approach, like it happens in pandemic. Like uh, let's say a guy uh, which was uh, like you know uh, not. Uh, uh, con- uh like which did not have uh the uh, covid case he came into a person which had like covid 19. so there is a certain probability involved that this uh, person would also catch covid 19. so that is uh what the similarity uh, the model was trying to relate to that uh, uh basically uh there is a probability that each of the uh sectors can affect the other sectors. It may or may not happen according to the probability. But that is uh, uh, what the model was basically talking about. It also like uh, in this uh, segment, there was also a lot talked about interbank market. So the interbank market as the name suggests, it is the market between all the banks. The size of the interbank market has been persistently declining over the last few years. So uh, Private sector banks, they remain the dominant players in the interbank market followed by the private sector banks uh, and the financial uh, the foreign banks As uh, at the end in March 2020. The interbank market typically has a core periphery network structure. So uh, like uh, uh, how many of you guys know about like P2P structure? So uh, when a lot of P2P structures are, they are like, you know, combined together peer-to-peer structures it basically sort of uh, creates a core periphery uh, network structure so that is how interbank market is uh, portrayed uh, in this report and the last thing which the report stressed upon was that uh, uh, the size of the interbank market has continued to shrink uh, along with the better capitalizations of the public sector banks which has basically led to a reduction in the exposure that uh, could be uh, a result from a hypothetical failure of a bank nbfc or hfcs and or due to any other macroeconomic distress the banking system it may need to augment its capital to cater to a post-covid-19 revival in the economy since a shrinking uh, intra since a shrinking inter bank market along with the higher capitalization uh, have moderated the interbank contagion risks for now, but post COVID nineteen, uh, basically the capital to cater uh, the whole economy it has to be moderated in some way or another. Because the public sector banks they are better capitalized right now, so the contagion chances are very low in the interbank markets. But uh, basically, that uh, was the last thing. That the report talked about now i'll be uh, handing it over to Anjane.
3: yeah thank you vishwas so i'll be talking about the regulative initiatives in the financial sector that's been carried out especially with regards to after the after uh, 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 the after the covid situation struck us so let's 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 get right down to it, during the first quarter of 2020, the prices of risk assets collapsed and the market volatility, it spiked, which Kudligi has already talked about for quite a long time. Now, given the unprecedented nature of the crisis, central banks have been called to the front line again and have mobilized an unprecedented defense involving both conventional and uh, and, uh, unconventional instruments interest rate reduction, funding liquidity and market liquidity expansion, asset purchases, credit easing, macro prudential policies, all the big, big words there, to keep the financial markets and financial intermediaries functional. And to preserve global financial stability. Now, as COVID nineteen exploded into a pandemic, central banks' first line of defence was to reduce policy interest rates in order to ease borrowing costs and financial stress. That's staple monetary policy. You reduce the policy. Uh, you reduce the policy interest rates, so loans can be taken at a lesser, uh, as, at a more lenient interest rate. Right. Now, the central banks are pr- uh, also provided forward guidance on the future path of policy rates indicating a highly accommodative stance, policy stance going forward. Now, while the report explicates on what the other central banks around the world have done in response to the prevailing crisis, I shall limit myself to the confines of India only because of the time constraints we are bound by today. There is a lot to grasp, and I hope you have pen and pencil at the ready. Now, as for domestic developments, It is noted that the decisive monetary and fiscal policy actions have stabilized investor sentiment in the short run, but there is a need for the government and all regulators to keep a continuous vigil on the financial vulnerabilities, even as efforts are focused on avoiding dislocation in financial markets. Now, Kuligi has talked about this a lot in his section. I'll talk about the initiatives from the regulators here. The government of India has On its part, worked out a support package entailing a prudent mix of sovereign guarantee-based schemes, direct fiscal expenditure, and longer-term structural policy reforms. The package encompasses a comprehensive Atmanirbar package in five tranches, covering measures to create rural employment, infrastructure, support to MSME sector, and creation of an enabling business environment. Other measures include expenditure control, such as freeze on employees' dearness allowance, as well as a relief package to support the vulnerable and disadvantaged sections of the society, both in kind, such as um, free supply of grains, for example, both in kind and in cash, such as the uh, direct benefit transfer. Put together the overall package, including uh, from the RBI in forms of various liquidity measures, is in the order of 10% of GDP. Furthermore, borrowing limits of the state governments were increased from 3% to 5% of gross state domestic product. Let me talk a bit about uh, the major elements of the government of India's policy package here. As you can see on the slide. One, a fund of funds. A fund of funds is a pooled investment fund that invests in other types of funds. I would suggest for the reading of this, it's a very interesting concept. Now, the first uh, major element of the of poli- uh, government of India's policy package is the fund of funds for infusing equity into micro, small and medium enterprises, the MSMEs, as I think has already been talked about. The, the, the fund of funds uh, collateral free loans for standard MSMEs provision of subordinate debt of, uh, to those MSMEs which are classified as stressed or MPA. Now, the second major element, employee provident uh, funds, support to eligible establishments by mean of payment of employer and employee EPF contributions till August 2020. Now, employee provident funds are, um, they're basically, um, um, I'll explain this in a while. The let me, let me go on to the next major element of the Government of India's policy package. Special liquidity scheme for NBFCs, HFCs, and MIF, MFIs, which are micro financial institutions and HFCs, which are housing finance corporations. So special liquidity scheme for NBFCs, HFCs, MFIs, and partial credit guarantee schemes, 2.0 for NBFCs, HFIs, and MFIs to inject liquidity that the, there has also been tax deducted there has also been tax deducted at source and tax collected at source that, that, that these have been reduced by 25% of the existing rates for the remaining period of 2020 2021 additional refinance support for crop loan requirements of rural cooperative banks and rr uh, and through the National Bank for Agricultural and Rural Development, or NABARD, which have been talked about in the news quite recently. Concessional credit via Kisan credit card or PM uh, Kisan beneficiaries, animal husbandry and fisher dependent persons to inject additional liquidity. Now concessional loans are loans that are extended on terms substantially more generous than market loans. The, con- uh, the concessionality is achieved through either um, rates below those available in the market or by gray- uh, extensions of grace periods or a combination of these. The uh, concessional loans typically have long grace periods. Now, another major element, in- interest subvention of 2% on mudras chishuloni. That is the, invest, uh, the interest is paid for by the government of 2%. There there has also been a proposal for a scheme to facilitate easy access to credit for street vendors to restart their businesses. Now on to uh, payment and settlement systems. The Reserve Bank of India payment system vision for 2020 aspires to ensure efficient and uninterrupted availability of safe, secure and accessible and affordable payment systems. In pursuance of this vision, the RBI made available in December 2019, if I'm not wrong, the National Electronics Fund Transfer, the NEFT, System for Round-the-Clock Fund Transfer Facility. Now now that's big because India has joined a select group of of, of nations which offer Round-the-Clock Fund Transfer Facility, the others being um, Hong Kong, United Kingdom, South Korea, Singapore, China, and so on. The payment system vision of 2019-2021 which I just talked about of the RBI envisaged a creation of a acceptance development fund now termed as payments infrastructure development fund or the PIDF to subsidize deployment of point of sale acceptance infrastructure. Point of sale, you, uh, the examples of point of sale infrastructure, uh, point of sale acceptance infrastructure, may be those card readers which you're so familiar with, where you insert your card and you get the receipt right away in supermarkets whenever you need to make payment. Now, the RBI has made an initial contribution of 250 crores to the corpus of PIDF, covering half the fund, and the remaining contribution will be in form of card issuing banks and card networks operating in the country. The PIDF will be governed through an advisory council and managed and administered by the RBI. Um, Could we have the next slide, please? Uh, thank you colleague um, now resolution and recovery now before i get started with this let me um, elaborate on what is an cirp or the serp now a cirp is an abbreviation for corporate insolvency resolution process it is a it's a rec- recovery m- uh, mechanism for creditors as in when a, a certain uh, credit, uh, credit agreement goes bust or the, the go it it isn't uh, the the um, the borrower can't uh, defaults on their credit payments, sort of. If a corporate becomes insolvent, a financial creditor and operational creditor or the corporate entity itself may initiate uh, this CIRP. Now, since the coming uh, into force of the provisions of the corporate insolvency resolution process, with effect from December the 1st, 2016, close to 3,800 CIRPs had commenced by the end of March 2020, which is a big number. It's a good number. No, no, uh, on to the non-banking financial companies, Could, uh, Vishwas has already talked about this uh, a lot. Uh, so I, I will be touching on very briefly uh, on this topic. The report noted that NBFCs complement banks in extending credit in the economy, and they're a vital cog in the wheel for extending last mile credit needs. As on March 31st, 2019, the total assets of NBFCs and HFCs was 44.4 lakh crore which is approximately one-fourth the size of the assets of scheduled commercial banks which are um, 166 crores now mutual funds the mutual fund industry's assets under management fell by 92 percentage at the end of March 2020 over its value at the end of September 2019. Now, the assets under management, are the title itself is pretty self-explanatory. Kudli has already talked about it before. The industry's assets under management are basically the value of the amount of assets under the industry itself. The neutral industry's assets under management fell by 9.2% at the end of March 2020 over its value at the end of september 2019 with assets under management of the equity oriented schemes declining more than their debt counterparts now equity and debt they're different um, equity is basically their shares or the stocks uh, uh their, their shares or stocks are examples of equity whereas debt counterparts would be bonds or commercial paper it is important to realize and the report Uh, noted this too, that while investments in corporate bonds offer higher returns, the risk premium may not be commensurate with the current elevated risk in the corporate bonds market owing to the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, there's uncertainty in the market. So the risk premium offered by these corporate bonds, they may not be commensurate. The uh, The exposure of debt oriented mutual fund schemes schemes that in now debt oriented mutual fund schemes are schemes that invent, invest in debt oriented securities such as bonds um, commercial papers debentures etc uh, the exposure of debt oriented mutual fund schemes to um, corporate bonds rose to 46.9% of the total assets under management of these schemes at the end of march 2020 uh, from f- 42.9% at the end of September 2019. The exposure of debt-oriented mutual funds to corporate bonds, which have been downgraded, exhibited a steady downward movement as is, as is to be expected in the last six months. The exposure was 22.37% at the end of September 2019, which came down to 0.61% in, in March 2020. This is quite intuitive because obviously you wouldn't want to invest in a bond, invest in a security that's been downgraded mutual um, funds total deployment in the equity market in march march 2021 the 2020 i'm sorry noted the report was around the range of 8 uh, 8 lakh point 8.92 lakh crore this was sizably lower than in october 2019 owing to reduction in equity in the value of equities in the wake of the extreme uncertainty surrounding covid 19 However, market conditions and sentiment improved in April 2020, and the equity markets recovered um, to the, uh, the, the total deployment in the equity market, increasing in value to 10.14 lakh crores. Um, could we have the next slide, please? Thank you, Kudli. Capital mobilization. Now, the total capital raised in the primary markets during the 2019-2020 rose by 11% year on year with 3.35 lakh crore raised through both equity and debt issues uh, during March, January-March 2020, despite volatile market conditions. Now. Equity and debt issues—they're pretty self-explanatory. When whenever a company wants to raise money, they issue their equity. That is, they give their shares or their stocks out in return for money. Debt issues are similar, but the, the, they follow a different. Uh, when, whenever they want to uh, e, e, um, raise money, they issues uh, issue instruments like. Um, what I want to talk about: commercial papers, bonds, etc. The, 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 you you don't own a share in the company per se, but you have lended to it, and the company is bound to give you back a certain percentage of the amount amount you have lent it, lent it along with the principal. So that that's on debt and uh, equity issues. Uh, now within the total funds raised in capital markets during uh the financial year 2019-2020 the amount raised through equity issues um, through shares by r- increased by 29.2% mainly to, uh, due to higher amount raised through public issues public issues are when all uh, when when shares are allowed for the public to buy as in the company oh, it is oh, it's done through a way called... Ways like initial public offering, for example, wherein the uh, the public are encouraged to invest in their shares, uh, bid up their shares, and buy a uh, uh, a stake in the company. Now, the the yeah increased by twenty nine percent, mainly through mainly due to higher amount raised through public issues, and through right issues. Now, a right issue is an invitation to existing shareholders. Of the company to purchase additional new shares in the company Um, and qualified institutional placements. Now, let me take a bit of time to explain what that is. A qualified institutional placement, or QIP, is at its core a way for listed companies to raise capital without having to submit legal paperwork to market regulators. Of course, they must meet some criteria as prescribed by the Securities and Exchange Board of India, the ACBI. So yeah, within the uh, the amount raised through equity issues increased by 29.2% due to uh, uh, incre- increased uh, amounts raised through public issues, right issues, and qualified uh, in- institutional placements. Whereas the capital mobilized through debt issues went up by only 7%. During the year, 9984. Um, uh crore was raised through public issues in the private in the bonds market uh, 6.75 lakh crore uh, was raised through private placements of cro- corporate bonds now a private placement is a sale of stock shares or bonds to pre-selected investors and institutions rather than on the open market now if it was on the open market it, that would be a public issue which i've already talked about the major issuers were body corporates and nbfc's accounting for nearly 55 percent of the total issuances during the year. Um, the commodity derivatives market. Now, the report stated that the COVID-19 uh, is expected to drive down commodity prices in 2020, with the energy prices being the most impacted so far. Crude oil prices have touched, uh, have already touched a historic low in April 2020, with April crude oil futures settling at negative levels one day before the expiry. Um, Yeah, so the global base metal prices have also fallen, albeit by a lesser magnitude than the oil prices, mind you. Pulled down by the prolonged slump in global manufacturing demand. Now, Kuligi has already talked about this before. The slowdown in economic activity, particularly in China, and shutting down of mines and refineries across the world disrupted metal supply chains in the first quarter of 2020. Global uncertainties and safe haven flows drove gold prices higher in 2020. With some correction in March. Commodity prices are expected to trade softer. Now trade softer uh, would imply that there are more potential sellers in the market rather than, black, uh, that rather than buyers. So commodity prices are expected to trade softer in 2020 uh, than in 2019. The outlook will depend on the, on the effective containment of the pandemic, say, and the relaxation of social distancing measures. Now, the, during the 20, during 2019-2020, the benchmark commodity derivative indices fell sharply. The MCX uh, MCX ICOMDEX composite index. Now, this is a benchmark commodity benchmark uh, benchmark that tracks the commodity derivatives, right? Um, the MCX ICOMDEX uh, composite index fell by declined by a 29 22.9%. The ICOMDEX crude oil and ICOMDEX metal, base metal indices declined by 63.3% and 16.0%. These are, this is not a good sign at the at, uh, NCDEX, which, which uh, the NCDEX is a leading exchange in agri- agriculture derivatives, uh, what the Sensex is for corporates, NCDEX is for agricultural derivatives. Now for, at the NCDEX, however, the average uh, daily turnover witnessed a fall from Let me explain what a turnover is. In the case of of investment markets, a turnover is the value of the securities bought or sold on the exchange, right? So um, the average daily turnover of NCDX witnessed a fall from um, 1,488 crore before March to uh, 682 crore in the period post post March 2020. MCX, which is a leading exchange in the non-agricultural commodity derivatives, also saw a similar magnitude of decline in turnover by around 55%. I'm
0: I'm sorry for the delay. Um,
3: Yeah, insurance. Uh, the, COVID-19's impact, uh, the COVID-19 situation's impact on the insurance sector may take the form of a potential increase in life and health insurance claims, the report noted. Concerns about solvency of insurers due to market volatility, asset liability mismatches and depressed premium collections and revenues may also uh, hit the insurance industry. A prudent regulatory framework, greater supervisory oversight of investments through conservative investment policies and asset valuation methods in the Indian insurance sector limited some of those downside risks. These are uh, victories of of policy Um, pension funds. Uh, (coughs) Sorry, the national pension system. Let me uh, begin by defining what the MPS is. The National Pension System is a voluntary defined contribution retirement savings scheme designed designed to enable subscribers to make optimum decisions regarding their future through systemic savings during their working lives. The corpus accumulated during the working life is utilized for Um, old age income of the NPS subscribers. In response to COVID-19, the PFRDA or the Pension Fund Regulatory and Development Authority took several steps for supporting subscribers and intermediaries. The authority included as COVID-19 among the critical illnesses eligible for partial withdrawments under the NPS. Now uh, the Atal Pension uh, Yojana Is a defined benefit voluntary pension scheme with subscribers mostly belonging to the unorganized sections of the society, suffering the most during the lockdown and post-lockdown periods. Under the APY scheme, subscribers have to contribute to their pension accounts on a monthly, quarterly or semi-annual basis through an auto-debit facility from their saving bank, bank accounts that is the the money from their saving bank accounts are automatically debited to the atal pension yojana scheme um, the authority took uh, cognizance of the difficulty for subscribers to contribute regularly to the scheme during covid 19 hence it was decided to stop auto debits from auto auto, auto debits from saving accounts for uh, apy contributions till june 30 2020 that is the money won't be um, taken automatically from their saving bank accounts. As for development updates, the National Pension Scheme and the Atal Pension Scheme have shown significant progress in terms of the na- total number of subscribers as well as assets under management. The number of subscribers in NPS and APY have reached 1.35 crores and 2.11 crores, respectively. Assets under management under NPS and APY have also touched 4 lakh crores and 10 uh, uh, 10,000 crores respectively now let me talk a bit about um, could, can, could we have the next slide please yeah, let me talk about uh, a bit about the regulatory measures that have been uh, uh, undertaken uh, just give me a second here yeah? yes so let's talk about the Reserve Bank of India first Now, the Reserve Bank of India conducted targeted long-term repo operations. Now, what are targeted long-term repo operations? Let me uh, introduce the long-term repo operations first, because uh, the the, uh, the concept of TLTRO, or the targeted long-term repo repo operations, is is, is connected to the LTRO. Now, the long-term repo operations, or the LTRO, is a tool which allows banks to borrow funds From the Reserve Bank of India for a tenure up to one year to three years at the policy repo rate against government securities with similar or higher uh, or higher tenure as collateral. As in, the banks will have to deposit with the RBI government securities as collateral and receive the money. Now, why why is this important, you may ask? Doesn't this happen every day? Now the problem is. The long-term repo, uh, uh, the fact is, I'm sorry, there's no problem here. The long-term repo operations are different from the normal repo operations that are conducted by the RBI. The, ro- the normal repo operations conducted by the RBI are usually short-term uh, loans that are given for overnight uh, uh, o- overnight uh, spending, uh, uh, let's say. They're very short-term loans. The long-term... Uh, uh, repo operations allows for the banks to keep with them the uh, money that they've borrowed from the RBI for a longer time, for one year or two years. This also helps in the cascading effect of the repo rate, as in, whenever the repo rate is reduced, um, banks are also supposed, to, repo rate is the rate at which banks borrow from the RBI, right? Uh, whenever banks borrow from the RBI, they, they have to give a, a set interest back To them, so whenever this uh, uh, repo rate is uh, low, the borrowing costs for the banks are low. So, hence, they are also able to give uh, their customers um, loans at lower borrowing costs. With short-term repo repo operations, this is this isn't exactly possible because the amount that is borrowed it's only kept with them for a very short amount of time. But with the LTRO, now the banks have a opportunity to extend that the benefits that they get from the long term repo rate to the customers which is which impacts the common man whenever they try to borrow money from the bank so that's a brief primer on what the repo rate is what the ltro is i hope you guys understood that so yeah the, so the ltro i'll explain once more is a tool which allows banks to borrow funds from the reserve bank of india for a tenure up to 1 to 3 years at the policy repo rate the targeted uh, LTRO, it is the same as L-T-R-O, as uh, LTRO with a difference that the money borrowed by the banks under this scheme has to be deployed in investment-grade corporate bonds, um, um, uh, c- commercial papers, or, or non-convertible debentures. This, it means that this LTRO must be targeted towards investment-grade corporate bonds, commercial paper, and non-convertible debentures, hence the name targeted LTRO. Uh, that's a brief primer. Let, let me get back to the to explaining what the measure was. Uh, the targeted long-term uh, repo operations are uh, uh, RBI conducted long-term uh, uh, repo auctions of three-year tenor for amount of one lakh crore for investing in corporate bonds, commercial papers, and non-convertible debentures with concession in MTM guidelines. Now, this borrowing costs in financial markets have dropped because of this uh, to to their lowest in a decade on the back of abundant. Uh, Liquidity because when you uh, uh, conduct repo operations, you're basically giving to the banks, and hence that is more liquidity in the system, right? So, the uh, excess liquidity in the system, lower borrowing costs, coupled with the deployment of TLTRO funds, have led to a record primary issuance of corporate bonds. That is, more banks are issuing corporate bonds now, so more money is flowing into the corporate world. Uh, of, and the primary issuance of corporate bonds have reached uh, the, the figures of 2.09 crore lakh crores, which is huge. And this is just in the first quarter of, of, of 2021. And to enable better transmission of its monetary policy, this I've already talked about, RBI introduced long-term repo operations under which RBI conducted term repos of one-year and three-year tenors rather than their usual tenors. So I've already talked about this since the banks are allowed to hold with them the money that they borrowed from the RBI for a longer time. They are able to give similar benefits. They're able to give similar benefits of of, of lenient borrowing costs to their own customers, right? Because more liquidity liquidity in the system, they don't have to uh, fear about going uh, bankrupt, more cash reserves, basically. Now, the policy repo rate was brought down from 5.15% on March 27, 2020 to 4% on March 2022. Now, this is huge again because, b- because of this, borrowing costs reduce, right? And, and this uh, when borrowing costs reduce, more people take loans and um, hence more people uh, consume, which revives growth prospects. Um, now, the marginal standing facility rate was reduced from 5.5% or 40% to 4.25%. Now, what is the marginal standing facility? Now, the marginal standing facility um, is, now, you, you may wonder, banks are already able to borrow from the RBI via the repo rate. So why is the uh, marginal standing facility needed? Um, now, this the margin, st- marginal standing facility was Uh, window created for commercial banks to borrow from the RBI in certain emergency situations when interbank liquidity dries up completely. Interbank liquidity, that is, they can't borrow from other banks. They they are forced to borrow from the RBI and RBI only. And there is volatility in the overnight interest rates, right? Whenever there's volatility in the system, you would would much rather uh, borrow from the RBI rather than uh, any other bank. To curb this volatility, RBI allowed them to pledge government securities. I've already talked about this. Government securities are collateral here, right? The RBI allowed them to pledge government uh, securities and get more funds from the RBI. Now, this uh, the RBI rate is higher than the repo rate because they're not borrowing through regular channels. They're borrowing through um, a channel for uh, a channel that 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 that's only to be used at emergency situations, and whenever you are borrowing from a channel that's uh, only meant to be borrowed through um, at emergency situations that means your credit rating isn't that high uh, you may not may not be able to borrow uh, pay back that loan right so the um, the the interest that they have to pay is higher than the repo rate in this case that's the overall idea behind the msf is to contain volatility uh, in the overnight interbank rates um yeah, the marginal standing facility rate was brought down. Now, this rate was brought down from 5.50% to 4.25%. But because this is an emergency time, right? For the COVID-19 situation, it's a very uncertain time. And f- 5.0, uh, the reduction uh, in the uh, marginal standing facility rate means the borrowing costs are further lessened, even for banks that may or may not be able to pay back that loan. While the reverse, uh, re- Now, the reverse repo rate under the liquidity adjustment facility uh, was also reduced from 4.90% to 3.35%, which means the RBI 2 can now borrow from the banks at a lower rate. Uh, the reverse repo rate is the rate at which the RBI uh, so and so borrows from the banks. Now, this is a, a, a concept that, is, that requires a bit more refinement. And I'm not going to explain the final details of the very same here. So this, this was basically to lower borrowing costs and revive uh, future growth prospects. Now, the CRR reduced by 100 basis points to 3% of NDTL. Now, those are two terms there, CRR and NDTL. What are they? CRR is a uh, a percentage. uh, It's it's the cash reserve ratio. Now, we all know what cash reserves are. Right? You have to. Every bank has to deposit a mandated amount with the RBI in case things go haywire. This is a percentage of the assets they have. Now the percentage of assets to be and this this the, these assets are kept with the uh, RBI themselves. Uh, RBI itself to so as to um, promote safety. Um, uh, yeah, the CRR reduced by hundred basis points to three percent of NDTL. So so when uh, uh, now the NDTL. It is the sum of demand and time liabilities of banks. The demand liabilities are basically liabilities that the bank has uh, such as demand deposits that can be withdrawn by the customers on demand. Or the time liabilities of banks are the uh, liabilities, liabilities such as um, uh, bonds, let's see, or commercial paper that that will expire. Uh, that will mature in a while. I'm sorry, the usage of the term was wrong. So now we are m- more well equipped to. Uh, exactly understand the CRR or the cash reserve ratio was reduced by 100 basis points to 3% of NDTL, which means uh, think about this. The RBI is basically reducing the amount of uh, uh, money that the banks have to keep with themselves, which means they're indirectly injecting this this amount of money into the banks. I've already talked about this. This means more liquidity, right? Because with, with more money floating around for people to play around with, more consumption and for better growth prospects now the reduction in the crr led to an injection of liquidity of around 1.37 lakh crores now this is huge into the banking system while enhancement in the uh, msf uh, marginal standing facility enabled for them to better manage for better management of day to day liquidity now other, apart from this, other regulatory me- measures that have been taken are deferment of interest on working cap- capital facilities. Now, working capital facilities are the everyday needs of a particular corporate entity. Now, and they borrow short-term loans to facilitate their everyday working capital. So deferment of interest on working capital facilities means we, they can borrow funds for uh, uh, working capital at lower rates. right? And um, th- this also leads to an easing of working capital financing, basically. Um, and there the, have also been deferment of implementation of the net stable funding ratio. This is a con- uh, this is a concept that's a bit more complex. this was introduced in the introduced in Basel uh, B- Basel III. Now that, that's something uh, we that is beyond the scope of this uh, of this conversation. We, we have already overstepped the time time boundaries. Um, and uh, basically, it's a regulatory framework that uh, ensures that banks keep more cash reserves. Let's understand it that way for now. It's it's that's, it's a bit more simpler that way. This is basically for regulatory relief of banks, right? We don't want to pressurize them during the during the fallout. Um, now, banks are permitted to allow a moratorium of three months on payment of installments with respect to term loans. Kudligi has already talked a lot about what this is. Apart from this, Exim Bank extended a credit of 15,000 crores. Exim Bank was extended a line of credit of 15,000 crores. Now, what is Exim Bank? Now, this is a um, very interesting bank. Now, the Exim Bank is, is an abbreviation for Export Import Bank of India. Now, this is a specialized financial institution wholly owned by the government of India, set up in 1982 for financing, um, facilitating, and promoting. Foreign trade of India, uh, a very interesting bank to speak about. Um, now, they were extended a line of, of 15,000 crore, which means they, they, are, they are. Now, a line of credit is a very uh, interesting concept, really, because we know about it very well, but we don't exactly um, uh, think about it a, a lot. A line of credit, you have credit cards, right? Those are lines of credit. A line of credit is basically um, a, a credit facility that is extended to a borrower, wherein um, they, they are extended money up till a maximum uh, maximum threshold say if uh 15 crore uh, uh, um, would be let, let's say they are extended a line of 15 crore of uh, of you your extended a line of 100 rupees right uh, that means you're able you are able to borrow from the bank until a range of 100 rupees but if you exceed that amount the lineup it no, no longer holds um Uh, So what is, uh, so you you may be wondering what is different from a line of credit and a normal loan? Well, a line of credit, what's interesting about the line of of credit is basically that it only charges you interest on the amount you've spent, which means, uh, let's say you take a loan of 100 rupees and let's say you're extended a line of 100 rupees, you would pay the interest on all of that 100 rupees in the case of the loan. Whereas in the case of a line of credit, you would only pay uh, the interest on the amount you've spent. Let's say you've extended line of 100 credit and you've only spent, only spent about 90 rupees, right? You would only be char- charged interest on the 90 rupees, not the entirety of 100. So the Exim Bank ex- being extended a line of credit of 15,000 crores is, is a good measure. This is to meet Exim Bank's foreign exchange requirements, especially in these uncertain times. Um, Yeah. Now, uh, that's it for the RBI, I believe. Uh, No, 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 there's one more important thing uh, that we we still haven't covered. Uh, Now, let let me introduce what a consolidated sinking fund is Right before I get with this. Uh, This is a very interesting point. The consolidated sinking fund is a sinking fund wherein an entity deposits fixed amount at regular intervals at regular intervals. So for all the states have been recommended by the RBI to uh, by the Finance Commission, by the 12th, if I'm not wrong, to um, have a consolidated sinking fund, which they can later borrow from. Uh, now, th- this consolidated sinking fund, of course, uh, has to be uh, is, is kept to the RBI. So as to not uh, so as to not have arbitrary use of this fund, it it, it has to be heavily regulated. So the rules regarding uh, governing withdrawal from the uh, consolidative consolidating sorry consolidated sinking fund for states have been eased to meet redemption redemption of market borrowings. Basically, now the, the states can borrow from this consolidated sinking sinking fund and have uh, and, and meet their market borrowing requirements. Now. Uh, I have not gone over the measures taken by the Securities and Exchange Board of India because they're a bit complex and would extend the uh, amount of time that we have already breached upon. Uh, we will have a conversation about this uh, perhaps after this uh, the, uh, this video call, p- perhaps uh, an informal discussion. But for now, I have... Um, not paid much attention to it because it, the the concepts that I have to explain in that part are a bit complex and we well, have already ex- uh, um, overshot our time limit per se. The yes, let me talk about the uh, about what the Insurance Regulatory and Development Authority of India, that is the IRDAI, have done. The idea uh, the IRDAI have issued two circulars and one press release as the lockdown was unfolding. The uh, it. The, in, in these uh, pr- uh, circulars and press releases, they clarified that subject to policy, t- clarification that subject to policy terms and conditions, the health insurance policies cover hospitalization due to COVID-19. This is a very good step because now all health insurance uh, uh, policies must include COVID-19 uh, uh, as uh, a co- cover should be met out to the, um, all ins- health insurance uh, Claims made on the name of COVID-19. Um, the another thing this the circle has noted was the extension of grace period by thirty days for life insurance premiums payable in March 2020. This was later extended to premiums payable in March 2020. Now, what are uh, premiums? Basically, whenever you take a uh, insurance, you have to pay a certain amount at a regu- at regular intervals so that the um, insurance is is validated is uh, given to you so these are called life insurance payments these regulated payments that you have to pay for the uh, uh, insurance scheme to remain validated. so the extension of grace periods by 30 years for these life insurance pay, uh, premium payments are a good uh, are, a, are a good move because i mean people are hard pressed for cash right now right now the the, uh, the circular also simplified quick claim settlements procedures for Covid-19 related cases and daily monitoring of life insurance claim settlements due to Covid-19. They've basically increased the vigilance surrounding Covid-19 claims so that they can be meted out as fast as possible. Um, utilization of digital and alternative modes for premium payments and various other services during the lockdown have also been proposed. This is a good thing because uh, due to so um, the lockdowns, you can't exactly pay in uh, uh, pay money upfront. So this is a very good um, the uh, Measure that way. These were basically for mitigating the effects of COVID nineteen pandemic on the insurance sector. The Pension Fund Regulated Development Authority. I've already talked about what they have done. Let me just briefly sum up what they have done. Uh, given the COVID nineteen induced disruptions and the ensuing um, uh, work, from home norms, uh, of uh, work from home norms of employees, work from home norms of employees. And the corporates, the employees were allowed to authorize NPS subscription uh, subscription registration forms. What are NPS subscription uh, subscriber registration forms? They basically for uh, they're basically forms for registering in the NPS, which I've already um, uh, explicated on before, right? Uh, national pensions uh, pension system. Uh, so th- these um, forms were allowed to be authorized by the employees through the through email rather than physical mode, with certain conditions. Which is again, uh, as I've already talked about, a good move because, um, log- with the lockdown conditions, it's, it's not exactly viable to, for a physical mode of uh, of authorization. The insolvency board and uh, the insolvency and bankruptcy board of India in the wake of the COVID 19 uh, outbreak, I'm sorry. Um, In the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak, the Supreme Court ordered that the period of limitation in all proceedings shall stand extended uh, still further. So what is the limitation in all uh, limitation, period of limitation in this case? Um, A maximum period set by a statute uh, within within which a, a legal action can be brought or rightly enforced is a period of limitation. A statute may prohibit, for example, any individual or legal entity from bringing in an action for breach of contract for more than one year after the breach occurred, for example. Um, yeah, so the limitation period has been extended till further till further orders. Now, the, this is because the Supreme Court has taken suomoto cognizance of the challenge faced by the uh, country on account of COVID-19 and the resulting difficulties that litigants are facing in filing their petitions, applications, suits, appeals, and all the other proceedings within the period of limitation. Now, the Ministry of Corporate Affairs increased the threshold amount of default required to initiate an insolvency period or insolvency proceeding from 1 lakh crore to 1 crore I'm sorry, uh, from one lakh to one crore to prevent MSMEs from being pushed into insolvency, especially in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. Now, how is this? Uh, this is pretty self-explanatory really, because when you increase the insolvency threshold, um, you're basically saving a lot of companies from being deemed insolvent, right? Increasing the threshold to prevent MSMEs from being pushed into insolvency, basically, especially in the wake of the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. The, IB, uh, the IBBI amended the IBBI regulations 2016 and IBBI regulations 2016. Uh, I'm sorry, the IBBI amended the IBBI regulations 2016. Uh, the amendments provided for extensions in certain timelines prescribed under the regulations to ameliorate stakeholders' pain in the insolvency ecosystem in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. Basically, they've added new, uh, these amendments, they provide for extensions and certain timelines prescribed under the regulations to ameliorate stakeholder's pain in the insolvency ecosystem in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. So that's that's it, I'm, I'm sorry if I bored you. Uh, let me just conclude everything what I've just said. Overall, policy author- authorities have been responding to the COVID-19 pandemic across monetary, liquidity, fiscal, and financial regulatory domains to keep the financial system functional and well-oiled on one hand, and businesses and households viable and solvents on the other hand. However, the challenges that still remain are um, pandemic proofing in large challenges still remain in Pandemic proofing large sections of the society, especially those that tend to get excluded in formal uh, financial intermediation. Uh, challenges still remain in unwinding the stimulus and support packages in a calibrated manner without disrupting the markets, and challenges still remain in re-establishing prudential norms in their pre-pandemic stance. So that's it. Um, we are open to questions if you have any. I hope I have not bored you. Okay, uh, thank you, Saurabh, Vishwath
4: and Anjane. you did a great job. Uh, and now we will move on to the present, uh, we will move on to the questions. So have there been past instances, instances too wherein uh, the capital markets and the national economy have been in dissonance? Is there an opportunity to learn from them?
1: All right. Uh, so I don't know. If there's a specific example, but a key example for that access warning was nineteen twenty nine Great Depression. In between, there was a time when the stock market re- started rebounding slightly, and everyone thought the worst of the crisis behind us. However, then the stock market crashed almost by eighty percent. So the key learning that we get from this is we need to be careful. One, and the government need to continue the fiscal packages and the expansionary stance that they be taking. We should not. Uh, Start to contract too soon and the government should start keep uh, giving money and keep pushing the economy for uh, forward as long as possible Because it's better to go an extra mile than to be even 10 meters short Uh, Next question, please
5: Yeah so in the next question we had, according to the efficient markets hypothesis, stock market prices accurately and completely deflect all available information about an economy's financial state. So does the discrepancy that you spoke about reflect that some information has been ignored on either side of the table? OK, uh,
1: so this is a very interesting question, right? Because. Uh, A key feature that has been noted uh, in, I'm going to focus on the American stock markets, because I think that is what is representing the global scenario right now. A few group of stocks are what are driving the stock market. So since the FANG, that is F-A-A-N-G, the technology stocks and some other like Netflix and one, two more companies have done very well together, they pushed the stock market forward so that is why the, st- the companies in stock market driving it do not represent the stock market itself second the stock market also does not represent the whole economy right because COVID-19 has more disproportionately affected small business owners, shop owners, barbers. Whereas stock market is more affecting the top market, the bigger companies. And therefore, I believe that this hypothesis, while maybe true in some scenario, in this scenario is definitely not true. Because the representative population of the stock market, the companies in the stock market and the economy are very, very different.
4: Okay. So next question, are the big, big bank PEs price to equity ratios justified given their relatively high exposure to NPAs?
1: Anjana uh, or Vishwas, would you like to take this question? Sorry? Uh, would you guys like to take this, take this question? Uh,
3: I, do not, uh, I, I do not believe I have enough uh, qualifications to answer this. I'm
1: sorry. Uh, can we answer this at the end? I think we'll, we'll discuss it with the other speakers and we'll come back so, to okay. the question at the end.
5: Hmm. So in the second slide of the presentation, you mentioned that if there, there has been a drop in risk capital or the entire market as a whole has become more risk averse, doesn't that go intuitively go against the constant pull run that the markets around the world are currently experiencing? OK.
1: Two reasons. This is a very good question. I, I have a research on this question. First, the reason that the stock market is going on a bull run is because the stock market is forward-looking. Before the COVID-19 struck, the worst situation came. The market had fallen two, two months ago. Now, since while the situation is still bad in the economy, the stock market is already rising. That is because they expect what will happen in the future. Since the stock market is expecting that in the future the situation will improve, that's why the stock market is going up. Second, even though banks have become risk covers the capital flows to the stock markets have not stopped. Why am I saying this? Because as, and this is a little um, logical, it is not a technical answer, but a logical answer. Because sports have stopped, because horse riding has stopped and places where people have bet have stopped. People have tried to bet in the stock market. More and more money is going to the stock market. For example, Robinhood, which is the app for the normal man to invest in the stock market in the US, has seen an unprecedented rise in the number of users. So therefore, even though banks are not providing the capital, the normal everyday man has stepped into the market and he's providing the capital. So that is why the stock market is on the bull run. One, it's forward looking. Second, even though banks are not providing the capital, someone else is providing the capital
4: okay so uh next one is what has been the impact on profitability ratios on banks in the current period are they as bad as other other indicators of banks financial health
2: of the general banking sector's financial health okay so yeah uh, i'll take this one so uh yeah like they are as bad as the like other uh, indicators of the financial institution and they have other profitability ratio there has been a like a huge drop off like since, the, like it will uh, plot the last ten years, so we can see the drop off. Like even in the like a uh, financial crisis of two thousand eight, the drop or uh, the drop uh, off in percentage percentages wasn't uh, this much as it is in this unprecedented shock of uh, COVID
5: nineteen. Okay, and the last question to with regards to what Anjali mentioned. So you yeah. mentioned that the commodities trade when trade softer. He defined software trade as there'll be more buyers than sellers in the market,
3: right? Uh, I to make a correction there, I stated that there'd be more sellers in the market
5: than buyers. Fine. Then this question is rendered null and void because the question was built on the yeah. assumption that there are no buyers and sellers in the market. Cool. So that brings us to an end of this particular presentation on RBI's <laughs> financial stability. Uh, we thank all the attendees for sticking with us till the very end in this two hour, 22 minute presentation. And thanks
0: for all the one people who are viewing this later on through on YouTube or whatever platform we have posted it on.